Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, parents love to see their children grow. When a child is born, the child is, the baby is very cute, but the baby is also completely helpless. The child needs a constant help from mom and dad. And yet slowly, maturely over time, uh, the child grows and develops. Babies eventually move to eating solid food, then they learn to crawl and eventually walk. Not long after this, they speak their first words. Eventually, they go to school, they develop their talents, and scary enough, they even learn to drive. Parents love to see their children grow in strength, maturity, and also faith, love to see their children grow in faith and, and come to that point where they profess their faith. But you know what? Parents are not the only ones who love to see their children grow. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, loves to see God's children grow too. Today we are celebrating a profession of faith but not only a profession of faith, but also Ascension Day, where we are remembering the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. But though he is now in heaven, his focus is very much on the earth, on his people. You see, in the Bible, Christ is called the head of the church, and the church is called the body of Christ. We are the body of our ascended Lord. Christ is the head. We are the body. And just as you take care of your body and are concerned about your body, the Lord Jesus takes care of his body, the church. He is concerned about it. That's one thing we also see from our text this morning from Ephesians 4. The emphasis in this text is that Christ desires, our ascended Christ, he desires for his body on earth to grow in unity, maturity, and love. And that's essentially the theme for this morning's sermon. Our ascended Lord eagerly desires for his body on earth to grow in unity, maturity, and love. We'll look at, first of all, the triumph of our ascended Lord. Secondly, the desire of our ascended Lord. And finally, the gifts of our ascended Lord. Now, the ascension of Christ is central to the life of the church. The church can only grow and flourish by the power of our ascended Lord. In fact, without the ascension of Christ, there would be no church. Ephesians 1 makes that clear when it says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to or for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is to say, Christ in his ascension has been exalted 
over every created being that has power, including earthly kings and rulers, uh, demonic forces, and also angelic beings. And Christ now wields this authority and power to fill the earth with himself. And he fills the earth with himself through his body, which is the church, as his church grows and spreads over all the earth. And our text this morning from Ephesians 4 speaks in a similar way about Christ's ascension and its importance to the life of the church. First of all, there's verses 7 and 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, these last words, this last sentence is a quotation from Psalm 68, which we sang uh, together. But Psalm 68 describes the Lord God triumphing over his enemies by his glorious might. That's the theme of Psalm 68. Take only verse 1 of that psalm. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. And the rest of the psalm describes that. And proceeds to highlight God's victories with echoes of various events in Israel's history. That includes leading Israel into the promised land and includes some of the victories of the judges. And then Psalm 68 ends by calling all kingdoms of the earth, all nations, to praise the Lord. Now, in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul quotes this psalm to highlight the ascension of Christ. Now, why is Psalm 68 a good psalm to highlight the ascension of Christ? Well, the victories of God in Israel's history foreshadow God's ultimate triumph over all his enemies in and through Christ Jesus. In Christ, in his death and resurrection, in his ascension, God has triumphed gloriously. And this is also what it means that when he ascended, Christ led a host of captives, as we have it in Ephesians 4. Led a host of captives. The picture here is of a military leader leading a, a, a victory parade after a successful war. And the captives that follow, follow him could either be his defeated and humiliated enemies, or it could be the people he rescued from the hand of his enemies. But either way, it pictures the victory of Christ over the forces of evil, that, uh, that victory that he shares with his church. And, and this victory of God proclaimed in Christ's ascension and the victory won, uh, will reach the ends of the earth. We see something of this in the next two verses, verses 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So before Christ's ascension, of course, came his uh, descension, as we could call it. Christ descended to earth in his incarnation, when he was made man. 
But this descent of Christ involved more than merely um, a place change. Christ's descent came with a complete humiliation. It came with overwhelming suffering. See, Christ came to take all our sins and all of our sorrows, and he carried them his whole life long. He descended in order to suffer and die for our sins, and he did it perfectly. He descended to the point of dying on the cross, suffering the wrath of God against our sins so that he might free us from eternal death. That's what he did in his descent. And by that submission, all the way to the cross, Christ also defeated God's enemies and our enemies too. And now he ascended far above all the heavens and above all his enemies. He was exalted over them. So Christ is king of this world. From heaven he is building God's kingdom over all the earth. This is also what verse 10 means when it says, He ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. Again, Christ is filling this world with Himself. And He's doing that through us, through us here, we who believe in Jesus Christ. We can see this because Christ lives in believers by the Holy Spirit. Think of what it says in Ephesians 1 verse 13, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so as our Lord Jesus brings more and more people to faith all over the world, Christ is filling the earth with himself. You can find uh, this prophesied about in the Old Testament as well. Think of Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue. The statue had four different sections made of uh, four different materials, and these four sections represented four different kingdoms that would arise on the earth. Well, what did Nebuchadnezzar see next? He saw a stone that was cut out. And it came and it smashed that statue to bits. And after it smashed the statue, uh, Daniel 2 verse 35 says, But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. And that's exactly the kind of thing our text is speaking of. Similar to the image of the body in our text, Christ is the head, we as believers are his body. As more believers come to faith, Christ's body, it grows and spreads everywhere. What is the significance of this for today, also with this occasion? We could mention many things, but this morning I'll mention two of them. First of all, there are, are these young adults professing their faith today. And you are only here today because of our ascended Lord Jesus. It's because of Him. He has gathered you into His body, the church. He has given you the gift of faith 
for faith is a gift. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He will fill the earth also uh, through you and in you as Christ lives in your hearts by faith. So we too are only here this morning, only believing in Jesus Christ because of the power of our ascended Lord. A second, we can point to those words, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Again, this could be, the captives could be God's enemies, Satan and his fallen angels who have been humiliated, could be the unbelieving world, could be the enemy that is death. But the captives could also be us, because we were held captive by the devil and by death. Christ has set us free has made us his own. Either way, the meaning is the same. We have been saved from our enemies by the work of Jesus Christ. Sin and Satan no longer rule over you. Death no longer has mastery over you has been conquered by Christ. And we belong in body and soul to the ascended Christ. He is our Lord. That brings us to our second point. So as we've just seen, Christ ascended victoriously, and He is the head, we are the body. Now He is filling the world with Himself through His church. We are His body. But Christ desires more than simply having his body spread throughout all the earth. Rather, he desires specific things for his body, for the church. He wants a spiritually healthy body here on earth. We're going to see various things Christ desires for his body from this text. The first thing Jesus desires for us is this. He wants us to recognize that we are part of His body, together with all the other believers. Through the redeeming work of Christ, God has made us part of Christ's body. Ephesians 2 makes that clear. In Christ, both Jew and Gentile believers have become one. He reconciled all believers to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the natural hostility that exists between people. This is carried further at the beginning of our text. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So we must all recognize that we together belong to the body of Christ. And you who are professing your faith, recognize that you are part of a group of believers together, one body. And this means resisting also that individualistic spirit that runs rampant in our culture. You know, the the attitude that I'll just do whatever I want to do, not worry about anyone else. That must be put away uh, from the heart of the believer. 
There must also, there's also no place for a divisive attitude in the hearts of God's people. Remember, there is one body and one spirit. And here we see there's an emphasis on the unity in God. One spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. And so there is to be a unity in and among God's people. It means a Christian works for the unity, unity of the church wherever he or she can. All these sorts of things are not always easy. As those who are becoming communicant members, you need to remember that your fellow Christians are not perfect. You are not perfect. The rest of us are not perfect. And maintaining unity with the other members requires a patience, a sacrifice as well. That's why the Spirit through Paul says what he does at the beginning of this text, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let me emphasize again, none of us are perfect. We have not reached perfect holiness, godliness. You're going to need to be long-suffering with your fellow believers. And peace, maintain peace as much as we can. Peace is one of the glues that hold us together, the bond of peace. So we make it our aim to foster unity and peace between each other. So that's the first thing Christ desires, as seen from this text. The second thing Christ desires for us is this. He wants the members of His body to grow in maturity. Well, I've told you at various points uh, throughout catechism classes, profession of faith is not catechism graduation. That's, profession of faith is not catechism graduation. Rather, it's a point where these members are taking full responsibility for their life of faith. Perhaps it's nice to know that you're done catechism classes. Uh, your Tuesday nights are now free. But that, is, that doesn't mean you can turn your mind off now. Neither can the rest of us. We need to keep feeding ourselves spiritually. That means reading and, and studying the Bible reading it on your own and with other believers, means making use of solid uh, Christian resources. Never stop learning about your God, uh, your Savior, and, and all the Scripture's teaching. That goes for you, it goes for all of us. We want to grow in maturity. As verse 13 says, the aim is that we all attain to the full knowledge of the Son of God. That we all grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To put it simply, he doesn't want us to remain as a baby Christians. He wants us to grow up in the faith, become mature. This is how verse 14 puts it, we are to grow in this way, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Right? Christ doesn't want us to be naive, believing every and any teaching out there. 
See, there are false teachers out there in the world promoting unbiblical ideas. And if we aren't mature in the faith, we might easily be taken in. Instead, our Lord Jesus wants us to know what we believe and why we believe it, and not to move from our solid foundation. So that's the second thing our Lord desires. The third thing our Lord, ascended Lord desires for us is this. He desires that all believers would be living members of His church. Listen to verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you are part of the body of Christ. Read about that in 1 Corinthians 12 also. The body has many parts that need each other. And you need the other members, but they also need you. So we are called to be living members. And a living member of the body seeks the well-being of the other members. A living member of the body cares for the other members in every way. A living member desires for the entire body to grow. To grow in size, so that Christ might fill all the earth. To grow in godliness. To grow in love. Do you have a specific part to play and the growth of the body of Christ in this place, as we all do. So we must be living members and seek the growth and well-being of the body of Christ. That brings us to our last point. So again, Christ desires that His body on earth grows in size, in unity, in maturity, and in love. The question now is, how does that growth happen? Well, that growth doesn't happen all by itself. Now, Christ, of course, ultimately is the source of growth. Nothing happens without His power. And it also happens as Spirit-empowered believers all work for it to happen. And to that end, Christ gives Spirit-filled believers different spiritual gifts. In verses 1 to 6, the Apostle Paul emphasizes the oneness of believers. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. However, after emphasizing the oneness of the body, verse 7 marks a transition. Even though we are all together one, Christ still gives individual members different gifts. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or we could translate it, but to each individual, each individual was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So as individuals given different gifts, part of the the measure of Christ. Christ Jesus has also given you spiritual gifts. He now calls you to put them to use. Use them to build up the body of Christ. Verse 15 says that each part of the body is to work properly. 
And each member of the body only works properly when it uses the gifts given uh, to him or her by Christ. So again, all of us, these professing our faith, all of us, use your gifts for the well-being of the church. We all have a role to play in this. But it's important to notice something else in this text. The Spirit through Paul emphasizes here in this place the gifts of certain offices in the church. Listen to verses 8 and then 11. When Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, the gifts that Christ gives specified in this text are the gifts of people who serve these special roles in the church. Roles such as shepherds, leaders, elders, teachers. It's very similar to Old Testament times. In the Old Testament, the Lord set aside the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to serve all Israel. And they were tasked with serving the people, teaching the people the ways of the Lord, and through their teaching, Israel would be built up, built up in the faith and in holiness. What does that mean for you, you professing your faith, and also all of us? Well, even though the trading wheels have come off, you're done catechism, you're now taking full responsibility for your faith, that doesn't mean you can now uh, ignore what your leaders teach or where they lead you. Instead, this text also calls you and all of us to recognize Christ's gifts of offices like elder, minister, shepherds, and teachers. And they are watching over your souls also as those who have to give account. And one of their jobs is to bring the body of Christ to maturity and to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. Remember, there's a lot of suspect and even downright false teaching out there in the world. As verse 14 puts it, people who use human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Or to put it somewhat bluntly, there are a lot of theological scams out there. Think for a moment of uh, regular scams in day-to-day life. Some scams are easy to spot. For example, some of you... uh, in the past while, may have had a phone call where a robotic voice says, uh, this is a phone call from the Legal Department of Service Canada. We have an order to suspend your social insurance number immediately as your social has been found suspicious for illegal and criminal activity. Now I'm fairly certain uh, not many of you would fall for that scam, I, at least I hope not. But other scams are not so easy to spot. Some scammers are incredibly tricky and cunning. And it's also the same thing with theological scams that have multiplied also through the internet. Some may be easy to spot, but others are not easy to see. 
So yes, you're taking full responsibility for your life of faith, but part of that responsibility means recognizing that there are shepherds and teachers in Christ's church to guide you. And so you are called to continue to listen to their instruction. And this text shows us that the elders and teachers play such an important role in seeing uh, these desires of Christ fulfilled for his body. Christ wants the body to grow in unity, in peace, in maturity, and love. And that must always be the goal of the shepherds and teachers of Christ's church. To see the body of Christ grow in this way. So that must be their goal. At the same time, the members of the body must also then recognize that Christ has given them as gifts to his church to see this happen. So that also means listening carefully to their instruction. You see, the growth in unity and peace and maturity and in love described here cannot happen if all the members follow whatever teacher they like on the World Wide Web and ignore their own shepherds and teachers. The first line of defense against false teaching are the elders and ministers of your local church. So be careful not to run with any article, blog post, sermon, podcast, or whatever it might be you have found on the internet without talking to your, your elders and your, your pastor about it. Because if the members do that, it will result in chaos in the body of Christ. And this goal of growing in unity, maturity, and love will not be achieved. So, beloved, this is a message for all of us. Whether we are an elder or a pastor or other member, we must all seek this growth of the body of Christ in this place. And seek it through prayer, praying for each other through, the, through our Lord, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Seek it through action. Christ uses each of us to grow his body here. And let us seek it also in love. That is, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, the more excellent way. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 40, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5.